0: all right good morning good morning well i'm blessed to gather with you again and uh i hope you had a merry christmas and i hope that entering into 2021 you enter in with gratitude to the life that jesus gives to you and uh, i got to spend uh, this christmas uh, many hours on the floor with my son caleb because he just got new hot wheel tracks and so we were making some pretty epic loops in the living room and uh, my daughter got a sewing machine, so if anyone needs some alterations, uh, you can come and see me. She was at the welcome table. She also has a whole new fashion line for dolls, uh, so let us know no just kidding, but she uh, she's super she 's a fast learner she 's already sewing stuff. but um, my wife and I, we got to sit back uh, on Christmas and just reflect on all that God has done in this year and, and uh, in this season as we 've begun this church and One of the things we're so thankful for is the fact that we get to raise our family in this community, and we get to raise our kids uh, with you, among you, and um, there's so many wonderful people that we've already been able to meet, uh, just being part of this church community, and I know that there's a lot more that we look forward to knowing you and uh, growing in relationship with you. And so, um, yeah, we're just getting started as a church. We're only three months in, and we have all of next year to just grow together. And as I said, I'm not making any New Year's predictions, uh, but here's what I will say. If, if we have a New Year's rev- resolution as a church, is this is what I'd love to see happen, is to fulfill the vision that we have for this church, which is to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus, which is to be known by one another, that we would uh, continue to build an authentic community here where um, you're known and loved for who you are. And, uh, and then lastly, that we would make Jesus known and just being able to hear about those four missionaries that we're supporting uh, really blesses my heart that we're already uh, supporting missionaries as a three-month-old church plant is uh, astounding to me. And that's because of you and because of your faithful giving. And so um, I think that this next year is going to be a, a year full of blessings that God's going to pour out upon his church because uh, he promised that he would uh, that his church would thrive. Amen? Amen. So uh, each week we open God's Word. I love to do that, and we're going to be back in the Gospel of Mark today, chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, open it up there. We took a couple weeks off uh, for an Advent series, but looking forward to what we have to look at today, Mark chapter 5. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, thank you for your Word. God, I ask that you would speak to us with clarity from your spirit and from your word. And God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding that we may behold wondrous things from your word. And God, would you lift any sort of blindness that the enemy would want to cause upon any minds here today and let us see Jesus in the power and authority that he has. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this morning... Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at the most descriptive story in the Bible about a man being delivered from demons. And so we're looking at this most detailed passage in the scriptures. So far in Mark's gospel, we've seen that Jesus has already delivered people who were oppressed by demons. However, this is one that is just kind of um, through the roof in detail. I I love my pastor in Santa Barbara would say, this is the story of the scariest dude ever, okay? And so what we're going to see today is uh, we're going to be talking about demons. We're going to be talking about demonization because this is not a foreign concept to the Bible, and it shouldn't be a foreign concept to believers. And so as believers, we do not want to be ignorant of the reality of unclean spirits, of demonic possession, demonic oppression, whatever you want to call the work that Satan is behind. We want to take in the fact that Satan, who is very real, has a myriad of tactics in order to try to deceive people, to try to keep people away from their loving Creator. And so demons and demonization is a very real thing in the Bible. It's a reality that I hope that as Christians we are equipped for. And so the story that we're looking at today in Mark chapter 5, let it be noted to you that this is an extreme case of demonization. And as we go through this scripture and while we teach about these truths, I want you to come away which is a clear understanding of the work of the enemy, that there are demons that are active in the world today. And as I teach this today, here's the thing that I don't want to have happen. I don't want anyone to go away freaked out. I don't want anyone to leave here today with sort of an undue paranoia of the spiritual reality of demons. However, I do pray that Christians, that you here would have a sober and realistic understanding of the reality of demons and that you would be armored up, as Ephesians says, with the whole spiritual armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the enemy, that you would be able to resist demonic attack either in your life or in another person's life. And so we look in Mark chapter 5 verse 1 where we read this they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So Jesus has just been on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and if you remember, it was a few weeks ago, but Jesus was there sleeping on a pillow on the front of this boat, and this storm arose, and the disciples were freaking out because they thought that their lives were being threatened. And they wake Jesus up, and you remember, they said, Jesus, do you even care? And he rebukes the wind and the waves, and then there is a great calm that comes in the midst of that storm. Now, the fact that Jesus rebuked the storm kind of makes me think, and, and many people think this, you know, there's a question of, well, who caused the storm? Did God cause the storm? Did the enemy cause the storm? Was it just a natural occurrence? You know, we can't necessarily know. However, I'd say the fact that Jesus rebuked the storm tells me something. Tells me that perhaps the devil or demons were at work in the storm, and why would this be the case? Well, it is because There was a spiritual clash that was about to happen in the spiritual realm and it would manifest itself in the physical realm because Jesus was going to the other side. He was going to the region of the Gerasenes and what waited him on that side was this man who was severely demonized. And so you have to kind of picture the scene in your mind. There's this man and Satan has had a field day with this guy. He's caused all sorts of fear in the community. They've tried to lock him away and keep him away from society. And Satan knew that Jesus was crossing over the lake and that Jesus, as soon as he would see this man, that he would have compassion and love upon him and that he would want to deliver him because that is what Jesus does. Jesus is a deliverer of our oppression. He came so that he could destroy the works of the enemy, and so as he lands that boat on the shore of Galilee, you have to kind of picture it in your minds. The disciples are freaking out because they see this man running down the hill, down towards the water, and he just looks gnarly. Before we get to the man that is running down this hill, I just want to Think for a moment about the disciples. You know, they've got a little bit of low esteem because they've just been rebuked for their lack of faith. Jesus, he's confident as always. And they land that boat on the shore. Disciples are all windblown. And they see this man coming down at them. Imagine if Jesus was not in that boat with them, what the disciples would have done. (laughs) They would have scrambled, like, we're going to the other side. (laughs) We're leaving this place, which tells me something, which tells me that as disciples, you and I, really, we stand no chance against the oppression of the enemy. We need to have Jesus in the boat with us if we think that we're going to stand up against the devil or against demons. And here the disciples have Jesus in their boat, so they're good. And Jesus steps off that boat, and as soon as he steps onto the shore, you've got this man running down at them. He's got dried blood and mud pasted onto his body. And the reason why is because he would cut himself with stones. And he had shackles that were hanging from his body. We see that in verse, let's see. So, Hold on, let me let me back up for a second. Where is that? Okay, I'm gonna get to the description of this man in a minute. Okay, hold on here. Just got a little lost there. Okay, yeah, this is why I want to pause. Hold on, because (laughs) before we get talking about a demonized man, because that's what we're gonna talk about, um, I just want to kind of start by saying this: is that I've already thrown out a lot of things that. For you, maybe you've already felt like uncomfortable, and and that's okay. Maybe for you, it's like everything that I've said so far, like nothing new. You're like, yeah, Jesus is God. Um, He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Uh, He lived with power and authority, and so he cast out demons. Uh, Jesus makes disciples, and he's gonna make a disciple of this man who's severely demon-possessed. But as I'm talking about this demonic activity you might be aware of demonic activity because you've read about it in the scripture, but then there's this question that arises of, well, do I understand demonic activity today? Because I've already said that I I believe that there is demonic activity today, and you would say, well, from personal experience, I'm not so sure about that. Now, From personal experience, in my time as a pastor and just as a Christian, I've had many people ask me to what extent have I experienced demonic activity of this kind. And I would say that for the most part, um, and I don't mean this in any negative way, but for the most part, American Christians have very little experience when it comes to real Life experience of demonic activity. Or at least you think that. And I say, at least you think that because, as I said, Satan's activity is alive and well. And although demons might not show themselves or manifest themselves in this kind of way that we're going to read in Mark chapter 5, it doesn't change the fact that demonization happens and that it is a very real thing in people's lives. Because remember this Satan disguises himself as an angel of light 2nd Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Satan is also the father of lies and deception John chapter 8. We know that the devil came to steal kill and destroy John chapter 10 and so his mission never changes. His mission never changes however I'll say this is that his tactics do change and perhaps the tactics that the devil uses as he is an angel of light, as he masquerades in these lies, as he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in, in our environment in which we live in, we might not see the creepy dude coming down the hill covered in blood and mud and shackled. We may see more subtle, but no less dangerous deceptions that the enemy might have today. And so through this teaching, here's the couple of things that I hope that we would come away with. That we'd come away with that if you don't know Jesus yet, that you would know him. Because Jesus is the only one who can transfer you from the domain of darkness into the domain of light. If you don't know Jesus, you are in the domain of darkness. That means that you are in Satan's kingdom. And if you don't know Jesus, then when it comes to demonization, sky's the limit. But if you know Jesus, and I pray that all of us here do know Jesus, we need to understand that the enemy wants to frustrate the work of God, wants to pester and annoy the believer, wants to torment even the thoughts and the intents of of a believer. However, I pray that even today that you would experience freedom that is found in Jesus. I also hope that today, as we continue on, that we would expose the works of darkness, that we would expose the lies of the enemy. I'm, I just I want to expose that pesky liar, <laughs> Satan. Amen. Amen. And so let's read from verses two through six, now to the part where I was going to go into. <laughs> of this man who's now gonna come running down this hill at Jesus, it says, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now picture the scene in your mind. Jesus steps off of this boat. The disciples are weary. And as soon as Jesus gets on the shore, this man comes running full speed at him he's naked, he has a dried mixture of blood and dirt because he's been cutting himself with stones, he has pieces of chains hanging off of his wrists, and he comes toward this boat yelling, and as he gets closer and closer, right, disciples are like deer in the headlights, But Jesus, calm and resolute, sees this man coming towards him and as he gets closer, the man falls down at Jesus' feet. Now whether the man fell down at his feet because of the power and authority that is in Jesus or he fell down at his feet at his own will or a mixture of the two, I don't know, but this man is now at the feet of Jesus. What does the Bible tell us about this man? Luke chapter eight says that he was demonized for a long time. Luke 8 also tells us that he didn't wear clothes and that he lived like a wild animal. Verse 3 says, the man lived among the dead. And in case you aren't up to par with what's normal, that's not normal, okay? He was living in burial caves. It was like he was living among the cemetery. He had supernatural strength, like not because he just like did a bunch of protein powder and like lifted, but because this guy had a supernatural strength that came from the enemy that as people tried to bind him in shackles and chains, he could wrench them apart. This man was tormented and he was self-destructive. He would cut himself with stones and he would cry out. We see that all through verses three through five. And so the description of this man that we get is that he is described by death By bondage, by strength, wrenching, crying, and cutting. So there's clearly something going on with this guy. Again, scariest dude ever. (laughs) In verses 7-8, as he's now at Jesus' feet, it says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, that's Jesus, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So this man's at Jesus' feet, he's yelling, and Jesus is looking at him saying, come out of the man. And we see this demon speaking through this man, and he's identified correctly who Jesus is. He said that he's the son of God. You know, James chapter two says this, you believe that God is one? you do well. Like, great, your theology is accurate. But even the demons believe and they shudder. And so I feel that it's at this point that I should define what's going on in this man. We've got the description of it, but what is happening to this man? This man is what we would call demon-possessed or what I prefer called Uh, To be called because I think it's more accurate to the original language and theologically, he was demonized. That's a different point. So, demon possession, demonization, whatever word you want to use is fine, but let's give a definition for what's happening to this man. What's going on is that there is a demonic spirit that is residing in this human body. And at times, this demon is showing its own personality through the personality of the host body. That's what we would call demon possession or demonization. And as I said, this story here is of the most extreme case, but that sort of level of that can vary in its degrees. But here we see this is a very gnarly kind of demonization. I can use the word gnarly. I think it's a great theological term. But let me tell you some important truths before we move forward is this, is that it's important as Christians not to ignore demonic activity and also not to overemphasize supposed demonic activity. You know, I'm often asked what I've experienced when it comes to to demonic activity, and I just wanna say this, like if I were to answer back to you and say, no, I've never experienced anything of this kind, would it change the fact that it's real? No, it obviously wouldn't, because just because we haven't seen something or we haven't experienced something of this kind that the Bible says is a reality. This isn't just a story or a fable. This is something that happened in real time, in real space, with real people. And so if the Bible declares it, it doesn't negate its existence just because we have not experienced something like this. Some people think that this story right here is just a classical case of mental illness. And that during biblical times, they didn't have the medical understanding or the right language to really define what was going on with this man. Which is, this guy is just mentally ill. But is that what this is? Is that what's going on? Is this guy just mentally ill? No. Why? Because Jesus said that this is demonization. Jesus said to the man, come out of him, you unclean spirits. And so either Jesus is declaring this situation to be demonization or or Jesus is the one that's mentally ill. Do you get that? If Jesus is the son of God, if Jesus is all truth, and he said it's demonic activity, then it's not mental illness. It's demonic activity, and I'd rather stand with Jesus on what this really is. And so when we get asked this question, have you ever experienced any sort of demonic activity of this kind, maybe you can say yes, but perhaps a lot of people would say no. But again, maybe that's just kind of what you think it is. Because what I find and what I think, and sure this might just be my thought, but I think that there's a lot of demonic activity of this kind, however, we would label it differently. We would say that person is on drugs. That person is mentally ill. or Some other thing, when in reality, there's demonization. You know, perhaps you've seen a person go into a seizure, and you thought, no, oh, that person's epileptic or has some kind of medical condition, when in reality, there was something more spiritual going on. And listen to me. The Bible recognizes that seizures are sometimes caused because of physical illness. But the Bible also recognizes that seizures sometimes occur because of a spiritual condition of demonization. See, we need to have the discernment as Christians to understand that if someone is convulsing, is it something that is physical and medical or is it something that is spiritual and demonic? You know, someone might have prolonged back pain, but in the Bible, Jesus healed a woman that was killed over in back pain for 18 years, and after he healed her, you know what Jesus said? That Satan had bound that woman for 18 years. See, the Bible recognizes that sometimes physical illness is just physical illness, and Jesus heals that. Other times that there is physical illness and Jesus casts out a demon. So we need to be able to have the discernment to be able to understand that there are people that might hang out around cemeteries and they might not be demonized or they might be. We need to understand that people who engage in self-harm Maybe they cut themselves or have suicidal thoughts that perhaps they might not be demonized, or maybe they are. There's a person who might be disturbed in their thoughts. Is that demonization, or is that just somebody who has really difficult thoughts? See, not every person who uses drugs is demonized, but drugs are often a place for demons to get a foothold not every person who wears black and listens to death metal is demonized. Some people just like it as a style, but some people that are drawn to black and to death, perhaps there's something much more spiritual going on. See, certainly not every person who has a mental illness, has a demon, please understand what I am saying here. I don't want any emails this week. (laughs) How do you distinguish though when the world labels something in a certain way as just a physical thing when in reality there's a spiritual thing going on? That's why as believers, we need to have discernment. Like I said, in the gospels, you see one person was blind and Jesus healed their blindness. Another person was blind and Jesus cast out a demon. Jesus knew what each person needed and he had the discernment to be able to know what to give. And Jesus has that same authority and power that he gives to his disciples. Now here's the thing, Jesus always gets the diagnosis right. Unfortunately, as his disciples, we don't always get the diagnosis right. Sometimes we say something that is truly just physical, we say it's spiritual. And a lot of damage in the church has been done because of that. And sometimes things that are clearly spiritual, the church has said, no, that is just something physical. Here, take this. And we've done significant damage. So either way you fall, both are errors, but simply the fact is that we need the discernment that comes from Jesus. And so clearly this man has a problem going on and we want to be careful that we don't just take Mark chapter 5 and place that on every single person that has some sort of difficult problem going on in their life. But we need to understand that if we're just gonna label things as mental illness or personality disorders or self-harm or social identity, when in fact a more proper label might be demonization. See, the reason the world gives these labels or diagnoses is simply because they don't believe in the possibility of a spiritual component. They don't believe in a spiritual realm. But Christians, hello? There is a spiritual realm that is as real, if not more real, than the physical realm. And we cannot be fooled. Satan is alive and well. In his book, uh, Screw Tape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, this one's for you, Dave, is uh, this book that gives a sobering look at the reality of demonic activity. If you've ever read Screwtape Letters, it is a fictional work. However, it exposes some of the tactics of the enemy. And C.S. Lewis in that book says that we can make two equal and opposite errors about the devil. I think this is a really key point. Two equal and opposite errors about the devil. One is the error of disbelieving in him. The other is the error of excessive belief in him. C.S. Lewis goes on to write that we can either have the error of being a materialist or a magician. Both are errors, they're just opposite errors, which tells us that when it comes to Satan and demons, we as Christians need to strike a balance. We need to understand that we live in a realm that is both physical and spiritual, and we need spiritual discernment to be able to navigate through that. What do I mean by this? Your car breaks down, and you say, oh, man, the devil's after me. Spiritual warfare. It's like, no, dude, you just haven't changed your oil in 60,000 miles. (laughs) Right? It's like, yeah, I saw this one book one time, and it had, like, images of food all over it, and it's like, it was, like, (laughs) the devil made me overweight. It's like, no, you just need to understand that you... (laughs) Yeah, temptation is real. You wanted to have a little extra turkey at Christmas, right? But it's like, you got to understand, not everything is the devil. And yet in the same way, we might see somebody and just say, oh, they have mental illness or they're insane when really there is something going on where night and day they are being tormented by a demon. Now, discernment, discernment, discernment. How do we have that? How do we know what, Which is what? You need Jesus for that. You need Jesus for that. Now, back to that question, have I experienced this kind of demonic activity? And I would just tell you, yes. I've seen people convulsed. I've seen people go unconscious. I have heard people scream and growl. I've heard demons curse God. I've personally been annoyed and tormented by demons. I've not been possessed, but I've certainly been oppressed by demonic activity. I've undergone intense spiritual warfare in my own life, and so I'm convinced that Satan is real and active, but I'm even more convinced that he who is in me is greater than he is in the world. Amen? Amen. And I'm happy to share my experiences with anyone who wants to come and talk to me about those experiences. Maybe you have experiences and you want to come and talk to me or one of our pastors about those experience, experiences. We would be happy to talk about our own personal experience, experiences with demonic activity. However, we do not determine our doctrine based off of experience. We determine our doctrine based on the word of God So we're going to go back to verse 7, where verse 7, the demon is now at the feet of Jesus, and he says to him, what do you want? Why are you here, essentially? He's calling Jesus to the mat, and he says, do not torment me. He says, do not torment me because he considered it torment to be cast out of this man. Because the reason demons want to inhabit mankind is because they want to attack God in his kingdom. And since they can't get to God, they'll get to the thing that God loves most. Those who are created in the image of God and they will try to mar the image of God. And a lot of times we hear about these stories and maybe it piques a certain kind of interest, a certain kind of curiosity where you say, yeah, I've never seen that. I kind of want to see something like that just to kind of see it for my own personal experience. But can I just say the manifestations that we see here in Mark chapter 5 is not something for Christians to seek after. It's not something for Christians to enjoy or to be entertained by. If we see manifestations of this kind, we need to see them as an offense to God. Because what this demon is doing to this man is that he is trying to mar the image of God that is in this man. He's trying to make him look grotesque and brutal and debased. And how did Jesus respond when he encountered demons? He told them to be quiet and to stop whatever they're doing. Jesus wouldn't allow these kinds of manifestations because Jesus would see past the spirits and he would see that person there who was made in the image of God. And so if we ever see or experience some kind of demonic activity of this kind, you have the authority in Christ to say that person, that man or woman is created in the image of God and you have the authority of Christ to cast out that demon, to tell it to be quiet and to stop doing what it is doing. And so look at, Verse 9 through 13, with me, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now as a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, they begged him saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. And he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herds numbered about 2,000. And they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, some people take this story and they like to sort of formulate a method for how to cast out demons. And some people have said you have to identify the name of the demon. And there's whole you know, books written on the different names of demonic spirits. And I think that is an excess You know, you can't pin Jesus on one particular method of how he cast out demons. However, in this case, he asked for the name, and the demon responded by saying legion. It was an intimidation factor. Satan's always going to try to puff himself up greater than he really is. Demons are always going to make themselves look stronger than they really are. And here they said they are legion, which was anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 Roman soldiers. The demon's basically saying, yeah, there's a bunch of us. We are many, which tells us that a person can be possessed by more than one demon. You know, Jesus said that if a person has a demon cast out of them, you want to fill that space with Jesus. Because if you go and sweep out that house and just kind of, you know, put a bunch of moralism there and God is not in that place, the spirit of God does not dwell in that person, then it says that demon will go and get a bunch of friends and come back and it is gonna be way worse than when they begin. And then the demons beg to be sent into a herd of pigs that were nearby. Why? Because Satan and demons want to continue to be active. They want to cause havoc. And interestingly, this tells us that demons can possess animals. That might explain what your cat does. For sure, let's be honest, cats are way more demonized than dogs. I mean, this is biblical truth, right? Yes. I mean, truly. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. It's a cat. It's a cat. (laughs) Just kidding. So the demons enter this pig, these pigs, 2,000 of them. Glad to have a little laughter because here's the thing, I'm going to say this again. I hope you don't go away today freaked out or paranoid. I hope you go today realizing that you have authority in Jesus Christ. See, he goes into these, these demons go into these pigs, 2,000 of them, and they leap to their death. See, God always wants to give life. Satan always wants to kill And these demons come out of this man entering into these 2,000 pigs. And you have to understand what these pigs were to that community. It was their business portfolio. It was their investment. And what God was doing was that he was radically destroying property. He was sending demons into a herd of animals that would cause a huge loss of income. Why? Because he wanted to save one soul. He is far more concerned about one person than 2,000 animals. God is far more concerned with the soul of a person because the soul is infinitely valuable to God. And the Lord chose to redeem one man that this society, this culture, tried to shackle away and put out of sight And yet Jesus found this man and delivered him. And in verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened because it was a spectacle. I mean, everyone had wanted to come see what this happened. And they're just seeing a bunch of dead pigs in the ocean. In verse 15, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid Isn't this interesting? See, they were more afraid seeing this man in his right mind than they were afraid of him being shackled in among the grave caves. Why were they afraid? I think they were more afraid of the free man than they were of the possessed man. They were afraid because they saw the power that Jesus possessed and it was greater than the power that they had, which they failed to subdue this man. See, think of this. What the world tries to subdue, Jesus is able to come and overpower the things that we are powerless to control. I think the reason why fear was inside it is because The world is often afraid of the redemption and the freedom that Jesus gives because they see it as a power that far surpasses their own control. Isn't that the thing? When we are not in control, we get afraid. When we see a power beyond us, we get afraid. Even if it's a power that comes from God, there is fear because they see that they lack the control to subdue. And because God came, and God had the power to do, it caused them to fear. And verses 16 and 17 says, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. They saw these pigs, they saw the material loss that happened there, and they asked Jesus to leave. And the simple truth here is that if you care more about money, if you care more about properties than you do about people, you'll probably end up rejecting the Lord too. Because they didn't seem to mind having a problem with the demonized man in their city, but they did mind having Jesus because of the redeeming work that he was doing was messing up their investment plans. Are we really prepared for God to do a supernatural redeeming work, and are we okay if it comes even at the loss of possessions and properties? That's exactly why this city asked Jesus to leave. Some people are more afraid of what Jesus will do in their lives or their community than what Satan can do in their life or in their community, and they push people away. They ask people to leave and in the case of the garrisons jesus did leave when he asked them which tells me something which tells me that i think whole regions like the garrisons have an absence of jesus because they'd rather just have satan at work than to see the power of jesus at work because when the power of jesus and the authority of christ comes into a region it changes everything and people are not okay when they do not have control When Jesus came, he had control. And as we end here, verse 18 and 20, it says, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled such a good end to this story they see this man sitting there clothed in his right mind with jesus and this man wanted to go with jesus but jesus said to him no you need to go and tell people what god's done for you you know a lot of times when god does a work in us we would rather have a chasm between us and our past we'd rather leave the people and the places that we were around before we came to Christ. But here Jesus says, I want you to go back to the people and to the places who saw you as that demonized man, that saw you as that wretched sinner, and I want you to declare to them the wondrous things that God has done for you. And as this man did that, everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. So here's how we're gonna end here today. Is... That's a lot to take in, especially if you haven't been so familiar, either from personal experience, but even just from the scriptures of demonic activity. Again, don't leave here today fearful or paranoid. Leave here today being filled with the power and authority that comes from Jesus. The disciples came to Jesus after he gave them authority and sent them out to go cast out demons. And they came back and they said, hey, Jesus, the demons are even subject to your name. And he said, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. See, we don't want to leave here today with an overemphasis of the demonic realm. We want to leave here today with a great emphasis on the fact that Christ has redeemed us, that he is our savior. However, we don't want to leave here today either with an underemphasis of the demonic realm. We do not want to come out of this place just going back into our physical, naturalistic, materialistic lives, back to our possessions, back to our properties, without any sense that there are people that are around us that are clearly being worked on by Satan. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Satan has been working on me. He's had a field day with my life. Well, there is redemption found in Jesus. There is release from the captives in Jesus and today if you repent of your sin and you confess Jesus as your Lord you will be saved but even Christians it says that if we let the sun go down on our anger we give a foothold to the enemy that if we have bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart Satan's just gonna enjoy messing with that And so we want to keep a short account of sin. We want to confess our bitterness, our unforgiveness. We want to get as close to Jesus because, listen, remember, if Jesus is in your vessel, you're standing behind him. The demons are going to bow down to Jesus. So make sure you have Jesus with you today before you leave. Don't have a swept out life of moralism. Sky's the limit for that. Make sure you have Jesus in you. Make sure you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you because He is the only one who can redeem you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for the power and the authority that you have. God, I pray that we would all stand in that authority that is in Christ. We're told all over the New Testament, Peter and Ephesians, many other places, to stand against the evil one, to resist him, and he will flee from you. Bible nowhere tells us to flee from the enemy. We're called to stand and to resist, and he's the one that flees. So by the power and the authority that is in Jesus Christ, I pray right now that Jesus, you would rebuke the devil and that he would flee. If the devil has been blinding any minds of those who do not believe in you, I pray right now the veil would be lifted and Jesus, you would shine the light of your glory. You would shine your face upon them that they might see you and believe in you today. God, open the eyes of the blind, both physically and spiritually. God, I ask that you would do a wonderful work among us today. I pray that your church would be fully equipped for every good work, even to be able to stand against the evil one, to resist him. God, as the days draw toward an end, we know that times will increase of this sort of activity. And so, Lord, let your church be prepared. Let your church be ready, especially in this region for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come in with victory and with power and with authority. And Lord, make your church, make make these people here ready to see redemption come and the spiritual warfare that will exist because you are doing a great work among people. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.